entering the Freedom Hut. Stock market plummets today. A global panic attack is underway because of coronavirus. We'll work through what's true, what's not, what's exaggerated, and what's for real. Also, the head of the Port Authority here in New York has coronavirus. Governor Cuomo of New York has advice for people. Italy has quarantined people in its north. Biden versus Bernie. Michigan's the big state tomorrow. We got that and much more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. A bad flu season is 80,000 dead. We've got about 18,000 dead from influenza this year. We have 100 from corona. Mm-hmm. Which should you be worried about, influenza or corona? 100 versus 18,000. Right. It's not a trick question. And look, the, the, everything that's going on with the New York cleaning the subways and everyone using Clorox wipes and get your flu shot, which should be the other message, that's good. Yeah. That's a good thing. So I have no problem with the behaviors. What I have a problem with is the panic and the fact that businesses are getting destroyed and people's lives are being upended, not by the virus virus, but by the panic, the panic must stop. And the press, they really I, I somehow need to be held accountable because they are hurting people. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. That's my biggest single takeaway for today. The, the press is being wildly irresponsible here as we try to figure out what's next with this uh, coronavirus situation. I, I have to deep dive into this with you today. We'll work through all the angles together. I, I really still stick to Take precautions. Take it seriously. Everyone needs to calm down. Or not everybody, but people that are acting like this is the zombie apocalypse. And there really are people that are taking that approach. They think that if if they don't get the last mask from their you know local drugstore or something, that somehow they're not going to be the ones who makes it through this. Uh, we have dealt with pandemics before as a species. We will deal with pandemics again. There are some takeaways from all of this. One of my most important ones is perhaps we shouldn't focus so much on science that doesn't really matter and doesn't affect any of our lives. You know, perhaps there shouldn't be this obsession with climate change and CO2 emissions when we all know that it's just a matter of time. Any given year, millions and millions of people could contract a, a truly high mortality, uh, virulent pathogen and then all of a sudden we realize, wow, maybe we should have spent that money on something else. Maybe we could have taken a different approach. And I think hopefully this is one of these one of these moments um, where we, we start to think about where we should really put our priority. The Green New Deal, all that stuff, that's a, that's a fake religious belief that they won't admit as a religious belief. It has nothing to do with actually saving the world or saving the planet. These people are absurd. Dealing with coronavirus this is very real. Pandemic disease is very real. And I assure you, if we were to go back and look at the archives of this show, I believe I was asked a question maybe even last summer, what what scares you? And I, and I remember this now. I said, to, I said, well, no, pandemic disease scares me. That's something that we have to be serious about. And that's where we are now. The Dow down almost, what, 2,000 points uh, on a plunge today related to fears over this over this virus, which there's a whole lot that goes into that. Fears over the virus, but also um, a decision about oil production with OPEC and OPEC plus I'll give you some of that storyline as well just so we're, we're all up to speed on it uh, but I, I just wanted to start today by telling you that you know the media really cannot resist 
this opportunity to slowly drag the public through a collective panic attack because it's a lazy way to drive audience, to get clicks, to get viewers, and to hysterically trash Trump all day long. Plus, somehow we are supposed to come away from all of this thinking that confused, corrupt, inept Joe Biden would do so much better, that Joe Biden would be saving saving us, whereas Trump is leading us into disaster. I mean, this is... This is entirely unserious. Uh, this is, and, and it's reckless. It's damaging. It's not just something that uh, I think we should uh, hold them to account for in terms of the politics, but also there, there are real effects here. I mean, you know, Dr. Drew in, in that clip was talking about how people's lives are being upended. Uh, there are going to be businesses that m- businesses might not recover some of them from this. You know, there are places now that. They're in their busy season. Uh, you know, huge concerts are being canceled, huge gatherings, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue at South by Southwest in Austin. Say hi to all of our folks down in KLBJ, Austin. Uh, you know, hundreds, of, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue just gone, basically. Uh, there's all this additional quarantine over from over the weekend that has taken place in northern Italy. About a quarter of all of Italy is now technically under quarantine and also has one of the oldest populations in the world. Uh, I would note that if the Chinese in a country, a very densely packed country of a bill. Now, do you believe the Chinese numbers? Probably not. Maybe they're maybe they're just trying to game the system and, and hope that their economy will not be as badly bruised by this. If they downplay the severity of the cases in their own country, that's possible. But. If you believe some of the Chinese numbers, that's a huge if. They have been able to turn the 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 curve in the other direction now, so that there are less there are, there are fewer and fewer not less fewer and fewer uh, cases of this with e- with each passing day. And if they can do that in a billion plus person, often very densely packed together uh, China, it's certainly possible to get this under control in other places. So the Dow plummeting now has all these people who are uh, prophets of doom. And I, I find that to be very lazy. You notice I, I don't come on the radio show and and day after day find some way to try to frighten people all the time. There are other shows that really, and they're conservatives, and they do that all the time. The country's going to hell. Everything's terrible. You know, the, the libs are ruining everything. And any day now, we're going to no longer have a constitution. There are real threats. There are real concerns. I think the rise of socialism is something, even with Bernie Sanders not becoming necessarily the Democrat primary opponent, is something we have to take very seriously in this country and look at why we go to this point, why we would repeat these mistakes made uh, in the past by so many other countries and expand upon these socialist mistakes in our own country, in our own economy. But all that said, I don't show up here every day and tell you that, you know, we're all going to die. Or that, you know, the caliphate is going to take over America any day. Or, you know, there's all kinds of things. Although it is true, and I like to say this, we are all going to die. That's a, that's a fact. So we're just not all going to die from coronavirus. Uh, in fact, very, very few of us, I think, in the overall percentage will succumb to coronavirus. Uh, you know, in a sense, this is a reminder in our modern era where we all see life expectancy. We see life expectancy getting higher generally. I know there's been a drop in life expectancy in America for white males because of 
opioid addiction specifically uh, and the deaths from it. But overall, if you look at the last hundred years or so, we're just we're living longer and healthier, longer and healthier, longer and healthier. That's our expectation. And we get in this mindset of everything is going to keep getting better. Everything's going to keep getting stronger. We've had a stock market now that has been essentially going up for 10, 10 years. And some people would say that it's really a, a 20-year bull market with a, with a blip in it. One thing that I do love is watching all these different supposed experts in, in the market and in investing go on TV and tell us things that are either so obvious that they don't really need to be said or that are so stupid, I'm surprised anybody would go on TV to say it. And this is their job, is to tell us about, you know, sometimes the market goes up, sometimes the market goes down. Thanks, Bob. So, this is where we are now. Recognizing that markets do come down. Recognizing that pandemic disease is real. That there are still challenges, even in our incredibly comfortable modern world, especially in the developed world, especially here in America. Uh, we are all mortal. And we are having to think about that and face that in a way we haven't in a long time. We have not had a, a draft for the military in how many decades? You know, we've had a very small percentage of this country that is the effectively the warrior class of America. They are our warriors. They go, they, they choose to fight uh, America's battles at home and abroad. I mean, they, they choose to be the ones who are defending us, defending the Constitution. We, we have not had a draft in many decades, and we have not had a mass casualty war along the lines of what we saw in the early to mid-20th century in a very long time as well, right? I mean, you'd, go back, you'd have to go back to, to Vietnam, and that was mass casualties stretched over many years. Um, we have gotten very comfortable. We've gotten, as a country, I think a little bit a little bit soft about our expectations of what the future is going to be like and how there, there's not going to be that much struggle. I mean, this is why you've had in, in the last couple of years completely contrived, I mean, completely made up controversies about Trump working with the Russians and, and this, you know, captured the, the American imagination of, of the left, of Democrats, for sure. And we had to sit through this and fight through this lunacy. But that's really only possible because we weren't fighting a huge war, because we weren't in the midst of a depression or a major recession, because there weren't things that were, you know, keeping us up late at night that were imminent threats to our safety, to our family, to our well-being in the way that other generations have dealt with. So I think our mentality had gotten a little bit soft, as, as evidenced by all the different things that we spend, you know, the media spends time talking to you about, focusing on you know uh, the the latest in the in the transgender you know equality movement or whether women should be able to compete in men's sports or just think of any issue that's gotten a, a hyper focus from the media that often we have to engage with on the right try to refute try to say no that's not a good idea no we shouldn't be so green new deal is i mean, perhaps perhaps the best example of this i mean that's just a, a, a giant lunacy fest it makes no sense whatsoever but we had real time spent on this issue yeah we're going to rebuild every building in the country we're going to dramatically transform our economy you know we forget sometimes that the economy can be a somewhat fragile thing i mean there have been empires there have been great states of the past nation states where or or in the pre-nation state pre-westphalian era just the the hegemon all of a sudden you know, collapses slowly, then then suddenly, right? That that's what ends up 
being the epitaph is that it was it took a while and it didn't really and then all of a sudden boom gone so to talk about moving trillions of dollars around in the healthcare system or trillions of dollars around because of the green new deal these were only conversations that we could have because everything in this country was seeming to trend in the right direction despite and now really think of now that we have a a, a real crisis at least to deal with think about all the false crises we've had to deal with in the last three years and this is the, the one of the problems that the media has created is that of course i'm skeptical of any media criticism of of trump's response to coronavirus because all they do is criticize it they don't they don't take they don't uh, you know take a step back and call balls and strikes they don't pick their shots it's everything trump does is horrible Everything that every decision he makes, whether it was stopping the flights in from China, I remember. I mean, I've actually got a, a whole thread of all these different news stories. Experts say this is not a good idea. Experts say, well, now we're talking about experts saying that we should have bigger and bigger lockdowns and don't get on a cruise ship. I mean, you're hearing experts say things like that. Don't do it. And you don't need to tell me that, by the way. There are a few things that sound more hellish to me these days than being stuck on a cruise ship for a few weeks in quarantine, stuck in my cruise ship room, I would lose my mind. So I've never been a cruise person. It's not my cup of tea. But especially these days, it's not a, not a particularly good idea. I think we all can understand why. So I, I, I sit here and, and I try to take the most uh, fair-minded, objective assessment of this current situation as I can. And I really do believe that we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And there are people who you have to remember, and this goes back to what I told you last week, they are rooting for failure here. And part of rooting for failure is as a self-fulfilling prophecy, because if they get people more scared, if they create enough anxiety, uh, then that alone affects decision-making, affects the way people go about their daily lives, business investment, hiring, all these different things, so that the, the great, the fondest wish, the greatest hope of the Democrats is Trump will go into re-election in, in in the midst of a recession. Some have been open about that. Some have been willing to say that they just want there to be a recession. They don't care how painful that is for Americans and what that really means for us. Uh, many of them are hoping that that's what's going to happen. They're hoping for a recession. Are they hoping for there to be uh, real grounds based on the numbers to say that Trump let coronavirus get out of control here? I'd like to think the answer is no, but unfortunately, I believe there are people who would make that trade-off because they think that Trump is the greatest threat to this country that has ever existed, which is something only crazy people can think, but they do believe it. There are millions and millions of Democrats, of leftists, who have adopted that as their, as their core belief, their core position on all things going on in the country. Trump is the single biggest threat, and so they can't objectively talk about any of this stuff, and that's why the media just filters, uh, the media rather just factors into this hysteria and adds to it constantly when you know you look at where we are right now you look at the growth in cases in this country it's going to get worse before it gets better but it's going to get better and it's not going to be that bad i think if that changes we'll have a conversation about that too why can't everyone just be an adult about this in the media why can't everyone just put aside how much they hate Trump. I mean, we're going to talk more about Biden later on in the show. Does anyone really think that Joe Biden has great judgment and, and they'd feel so much better? If you would sleep better at night knowing Joe Biden is president right now instead of Trump, I'd like to know why. 
I mean, unless Burisma is writing you checks for 80 grand a month to do nothing, I want to know why you think Joe Biden would be better in this role. What evidence is there for it? Joe Biden is a mediocrity who has just done whatever he's had to do his entire career to keep getting elected. That's all he does. That's all he cares about. No leadership, no good judgment, not an intellectual, not even particularly smart, not particularly ethical, not, not, not inspiring. But that's what you were supposed to take away from so much of this criticism over Trump doesn't take it seriously to hear what he said in this press conference because Joe Biden would be so much better. That's an unserious position. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. They have no plan. They might have a plan in 72 hours, and he can't tell you anything about that plan. And it's like Donald Trump saying on Friday, I don't want that ship to dock because that will just mean that there are more reported numbers of the coronavirus as if somehow those numbers being reported somewhere is going to change the reality. That's the thing. These people aren't in touch with the reality the fact that the virus does not care about their stupid politics. The virus does not care about their stupid stunts on the House floor. The virus does not care about their stupid denials or their attacks on the press or on Democrats or on international health organizations. The virus is going to kill Americans regardless of their stupidity or actually because of their stupidity. I mean, Joe Scarborough is a moron and it, it's really embarrassing that MSNBC gives him the platform that they do. Well, what, what was that rant even about? Trump is bad. The virus doesn't care. And Americans are going to are going to die because of their own stupidity. Really? I mean, if Americans contract this, it's because they walk around and someone coughs this stuff into the air. How does that have to do with stupidity? Uh, Joe Biden is, is, is a disgrace and, and a moron, truly. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sorry, I meant Joe Scarborough is a disgrace and a moron, but actually, since we're on the subject, Joe Biden, Joe Biden is as well. <laughs> so, sorry. Whoops. Different Joes. Different Joes, different days. Um, but, but close enough, nonetheless. There's also... Of, I, I can't help but notice a voice that keeps entering the discussion over the Trump administration's response to coronavirus, a voice that wants to be heard. And you might think, why? Well, I think we can all start to come up with some interesting reasons for that. Um, some reasons like, for example, she wants to be back in the game in some meaningful way. Uh, this is Hillary Clinton talking about the Trump administration's response to this play clip eight. It's actually been worse, Fareed, because when he was elected, I did hold out hope that despite all of the um, the rhetoric, the bombast and everything we heard in the campaign, that the job has a way of encouraging people to grow into it, to accept the awesome responsibilities uh, that one has. But when I heard his inaugural speech, uh, the divisiveness of it, the continuing to set Americans against Americans, the language carnage in the streets. I knew that he had no intention of trying to be the president for the entire country. He was still very much focused on those who he had brought into his base. And I think as a result, he has made some very serious um, uh, missteps as president. 
Like what? If it weren't for coronavirus, you know what would be happening? We'd be sitting around talking about how Trump is cruising to re-election because the Democrats are a clown show. But now, because people are, are scared, Democrats not only blame him for, they say, a bad response to coronavirus, then you say, what's the bad response? Trump's words about how it's not going to be that bad, that's not a bad response. But despite that, they, they use this, this general feeling of anxiety. They are exploiting it. And returning to the old narratives about how Trump has done a bad job as president. Trump has done a bad job because people right now are concerned because the markets are going down, because there's an overall sentiment that we're heading into some pretty rough weeks, perhaps rough months ahead. Instead of trying to help figure out what do we do to make that less bad for the American people, what are Democrats doing? Capitalizing on this. Trump was never a good president. Trump never did a good job. And Hillary... I think it's obvious at this point, does want to be back in the game with the Democrat Party. And I don't know if that means she thinks she's going to be able to pull something off at a brokered convention. That that strikes me as less likely than... Tell, tell me who a better VP candidate is for Joe Biden than Hillary Clinton at this point. And let's look at the reality. Joe Biden is an old guy who is certainly has certainly lost a step. That's the kindest way you can put it. Lost a couple steps. That's where we are right now with the Democrat frontrunner who will talk more about what's going to happen tomorrow in Michigan or what the expectations are, but it looks like it's going to be Biden. It looks like Joe Biden's going to be the guy who's, who's in the front of this whole thing. Uh, but Hillary Clinton's out there still making her voice heard, still weighing in on this. And it, it does bring some of us to say, why do we have to hear from her again? Oh, that's right, because she also just has this Hulu documentary that came out, which is really a, like a hagiography. I mean, it's... <clears throat> the most positive pro-Hillary spin on her career in life you could ever imagine being put out by a digital powerhouse, Hulu. You know, I, I just, to the to the whatever conservative billionaires are out there, I do want to ask them, hey guys, you know, the, the left has Netflix, the left has Facebook, the left has Twitter, the left has Hulu, the left has Amazon. Look at all these places. Can, can we have like a, a not left-wing major digital content platform out there? I mean, that's a, that's a real player that'll pay 50 to $100 million for a new series or, you know, to put on a new series or a new show. You know, can we stop losing in the culture fight? That would be really nice because I see it happening all over again. <clears throat> As CNN and ABC and these different news networks just continue, I mean, they, they continue to serve up news to habituated liberal boomers. But everyone recognizes that they're not as relevant as they used to be. Certainly the movie studios are not as relevant as they used to be. I think it would be really nice if we reached a point where we had just just one major content platform. It doesn't have to be right wing. I'm not even that that'd be nice, but it doesn't have to be just one where half the country's view of the world could get a fair shake. That that would be really nice. But no, you know. Let's just let's just shovel more money to some boring think tanks that are writing papers that nobody ever reads or cares about. That, that's a that's or, you know, or, or give more money to, a, you know, a, an orchestra in some like midsize U.S. city somewhere. I mean, this is this is what the, the rich conservatives tend to do instead of trying to start something that could really change perceptions and have an impact. Anyway, that's, that's I know that's a bit of a separate separate thread from this, but it does it does bother me. It's like if I, if I were a conservative and I had a few billion dollars. Uh, I would be building, I'd be building the next, essentially Netflix that's not left wing. 
because half the country would be like, yeah, I actually would like to see stories where there are good guys and bad guys, where you can say good guys and bad guys are not getting in trouble. You know, that would be nice, but we're not we're not going to have that. We, we never learn this lesson. We also don't take care of our people who go out and fight against the crazy libs and then they get, you know, deplatformed or they get fired or whatever it is. And, you know, there, there's no there's no safety net for them where you look at you look at liberals. This I just told you recently about. Uh, Yovanovitch, this this ambassador to Ukraine, who even knew her name before the whole Ukraine Trump fiasco, and you know, she's got a seven figure book deal. She Carnegie Institute for Peace. I mean, she's set set for life. Anybody else the State Department wants to try to help the libs take down Trump? Guess what? They see that and they say it's probably a good idea. I'm gonna, I'm going to give this a go. All right. So back to the coronavirus. Oh, I was going to tell you about the. Saudi versus Russia oil situation. I mean, here's the here's the basics of it. Uh, Saudi Arabia uh, and and Russia. You know, Saudi Arabia leads OPEC, and OPEC wanted to have a cut in production. I think it was a half million barrels a day, and Russia is like, no, we don't want to do that cut. And so then OPEC went went ahead anyway, and uh, or rather, o- o- OPEC is upset with the Russians and they're fighting over whether or not there's going to be and it looks like the Russians like no there's we're we're not going to play ball so you've had a big drop in the uh, the oil markets um you've had that also happening now the price of oil is going down uh that's good in some ways it depends i mean it depends on really what the what your goal is it'll help a little bit with the uh, okay, here, here's just—I wanted to give you a more precise description of exactly— Saudi Arabia slashed its export oil prices over the weekend, according to Times, in what's likely to be the start of a price war aimed at Russia, but with potentially devastating repercussions for Russia's ally Venezuela, Saudi Arabia's enemy Iran, and even American oil companies. The effects were quickly felt as the Brent Global Oil Benchmark price collapsed by about $11 a barrel, or 25%, Late Sunday, in the sharpest decline since at least 1991, and stock market futures fell by about 3%. The Saudi decision to cut prices by nearly 10% was a dramatic move in retaliation for Russia's, this is what I was talking about, Russia's refusal on Friday to join the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries in a large production cut as as corona continues to slow the global economy and with it the demand for oil. So that's, that's, you got this fight between Saudi and Russia over over oil production. And that's now also adding to this. Some people are claiming that that's really what drove the markets down so much today. Are they correct? I mean, the thing about going on TV to make those kinds of perception, uh, perception analyses of the market is it's really tough for anybody to know if you're right or not. So you just get to go on TV and and, and really say what, whatever you want. Uh, you know, Italy is concerning to people right now. Wait, I'm gonna before I get to Italy. Uh, this is also a reminder. Back to the economy for a second. This is a reminder that there's only so much federal government, the federal government, or, and global governments can do, or governments around the globe, to try and help in a situation like this. Cutting the rate. You know, right now is apparently a great time to take out a mortgage. Right now is a great time to do a bunch of different things because the cost of borrowing is so very low. But that's not really the problem. The problem is that people are staying home and not going to things and not using money that they would at businesses and for services and things like that 
That's the problem. And you know, nobody who's staying home from a concert, I think they're about to they're about to ban Coachella, not ban, uh, cancel, ban, whoops, about to cancel Coachella. They've already canceled South by Southwest. Uh, sporting events in Italy are canceled. I, I mean, this, I can't even keep up with all the different stuff that's being canceled in the U.S. right now. Um, we will talk about what this means for the political season because I think we are going to see some some implications for that. But the Fed's tools don't really work here. So that's also a reminder that we, we have this belief, oh, the government, when things get really bad with the economy or when we get really scared, the government can fix this. Mm, not necessarily. You know, governments have wanted to fix things in the past when things have gotten really bad, and we just had to take the medicine, take the pain. Uh, so this is a, another moment where we see that there's not some silver bullet, there's not some magic fix that they have waiting on the shelf, that the super geniuses at the Federal Reserve don't just say, oh, okay, let's make the economy, let's make the economy great again. It's not really that easy. Uh, so so pumping uh, pumping more liquidity into the market. There's tons of liquidity uh, liquidity already. That's not that's just doing something to do something, which can have the unintended effect of making the federal government seem like it's grasping it doesn't really have a good answer uh, so I, I don't think that that's going to be very helpful now just one one other debate that came up over the weekend and we keep calling it coronavirus that's imprecise and the actual affliction you know it's this is a little bit like the distinction between hiv and aids right hiv is the virus human human immunodeficiency virus that causes the autoimmune deficiency syndrome of, of aids and uh, you know, we have a, a, a strain of coronavirus causes COVID-19, which is what they're calling. That's the more official name for this. But to call it coronavirus doesn't really make sense because there's a lot of coronaviruses. And there have been a lot of coronaviruses in the past. And, you know, SARS and MERS and these different outbreaks of upper respiratory infections caused by viruses stretching back now for a couple of decades. We've been seeing this. So there's a movement out there to... Maybe just come up with a, a more descriptive, more specific name that people can use in common usage. And I saw people saying that this should maybe be called the Wuhan virus for Wuhan City, the Wuhan City in China, where this first showed up. Also happened to be very near the Special Virology Institute in Wuhan, which is the only place where they keep hundreds of live viruses for where we are told this is entirely coincidence. It perhaps is entirely coincidence. It's a big coincidence. But the Wuhan virus is something that has been making the rounds. And sure enough, the left jumped on this because virtue signaling is is the water in which the left swims, right? Virtue signaling is, is everything to them. They started immediately, I mean, Chris Hayes at MSNBC, who's just, I don't know, deeply unimpressive guy, gets paid a lot of money to tell libs what they want to hear. But he he said that this was racist to call it Wuhan virus. And you're hearing this from people, oh, it's so racist. That's really interesting. And also, is there one of these moments where you get a reminder of how ignorant our media class that pretends to be so knowledgeable about everything all the time, pretend to have the answers, pretend to be smart, pretend to be well-read? Wuhan, calling it the Wuhan virus is racist, um, but is it racist to call it Ebola? Because Ebola is named after a river in Central Africa where they first found the disease. Is it... Uh, Racist to call it West Nile virus because, you know, the Nile River, that's actually where that came from. Is it racist to call it Zika, which I believe also originated in uh, Africa, named for either a river or a region? Um, is it racist to call it Lyme disease, notably named for Lyme, Connecticut? 
Oh, good heavens. Not not la- not named after Lyme. Yeah, named after Lyme, Connecticut, which I remember growing up with that. That was a disease that had people really on edge. There were concerns that they wouldn't really, they couldn't treat it very well, and that we were all getting Lyme disease from ticks from just walking around in the grass. I mean, people were, we all forget this now, but in the 90s, Lyme disease had a lot of people on edge. Um, Less so now, it's still a very serious disease if you get it, but so diseases are named the Spanish flu, which doesn't really come from Spain, but Spain was one of the first places after the First World War that allowed coverage of it in the press, in the media, so it got called the Spanish flu. But again, this is just these these are unserious people in the media that don't know anything. They're not knowledgeable. They don't care to impart real wisdom or expertise to the public. It's all just like, look at me, look at me. I'm so great. I'm so smart all the time from these idiots. Calling it Wuhan virus is not racist. And to say that is 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 parading one's own ignorance. But lots of libs over the weekend went into that. Oh, how dare you call it Wuhan virus? Come up with a more creative name like Ebola. Named after the river river in uh, the Congo region of Africa. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's lives for you, folks. Shaking their finger at you, yelling at you, calling you names when really they're just showing how ignorant they are. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The fact that he is not willing to cancel his uh, various rallies uh, suggests that he is willing to place even his most ardent supporters at risk because we're supposed to stay six feet away from other persons in order to mitigate uh, the exchange of those viruses. I think that he is showing, unfortunately, why he is so ill-prepared to guide our country during this time of crisis. Just blather. Nincompoopery from Democrat Congresswoman Spire here. The the six-foot rule is about people who have the virus. Does anyone really think you're going to be able to spend the next few months staying six feet away from all other human beings? Does anyone really think that that's a, an intelligent, worthwhile thing for anyone at this point to do as a, as a rule? Oh, can't get within six feet of you. No, no human beings within six feet. And yet, you know, here, here we are. It's, but see that the whole, the whole premise here, it wasn't really to talk about what's, whether it's safe for Trump at these rallies or to have these rallies. Uh, they're just desperate to find something to criticize Trump for. And they're using this moment when everyone right now, we're a little more susceptible, a little more vulnerable to, uh, bad faith criticisms of whatever Trump is doing, and so they're trying to capitalize, trying to capitalize. And notice how at the end she says, you know, Trump is not up for this. Really? Because Joe Biden or or Bernie Sanders would be? Bernie Sanders is an imbecile who doesn't understand how the world really works. He's just been, you know, shouting from the sh- same sheet of Marxist music for the last 50 years. Nothing ever changes with this guy, really. And you think he would do a really good job? All of a sudden, the people that are, are, are yelling all the time about government health care, well, we'll get into that in a moment. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, folks, you want to nominate a Democrat, a lifelong Democrat, a proud Democrat, an Biden-Bama Democrat, join us. That's about the most exciting thing that 
Joe Biden can come up with for why you should vote for him. Vote for an Obama Biden Democrat. Just he's trying to ride Obama's coattails now into the presidency after, keep in mind, Hillary Clinton got to elbow him out of the way the last time around. And now we're supposed to think that Joe Biden has become this really great candidate. Look, I, I there are only a few other individuals shows that I will ever listen to because uh, I'm very busy working on my show and doing research for this and keeping producer Mark happy, which is a full time job. So, you know, I, I got to do things in here that require me to not focus on, li- you know, not, not be able to listen to. What else is out there all that much on, on radio and on podcasts? I'm doing my own thing. Joe Rogan is one of the few exceptions I will make if he has a really interesting guest. Because I do think that Joe Rogan, even though he's a Bernie Sanders endorser, which I think shows uh, a lack of understanding of politics, but nonetheless, I still like Joe Rogan's interviews. Uh, he had this to say about Joe Biden. I just want to know, this is, this is a guy who's endorsed Bernie Sanders. He's not a Republican at all. Here's what he says about Obama, Obama, Biden, Democrat, Joe Biden. Play clip two. Stop. Pause. You can't be president. What? Stop. Pause. Pause. Listen, we can't play any games here, folks. This is a really old man who can't talk. I think he goes on even more than that, but he's just saying we, we can't do this. Like this, this guy does not seem like he's all there. This guy does not seem like he's somebody who could handle the physical and mental rigors of the job. And yet there's such a desperation from Democrats right now to have somebody other than Trump because they just want someone who will restore their power and will will give them a Democrat voice at the bully pulpit of the Oval Office, able to just, you know, spew the Democrat talking What's They just, they want that. They don't care who it is. It doesn't matter. Anybody but Trump, who's a Democrat, will work for them. They were even playing footsie with the idea of it being a socialist, a socialist Democrat. So it's not like I'm just coming up with this out of nowhere. There is a willingness to overlook extreme deficiencies in candidates as long as there's an opportunity to... Uh, defeat Trump, whatever whatever that may be. I, I think, th- th- I'm not even sure if this was the soundbite. It's tough to keep up on which bizarre Biden soundbite is the one that people are, are noting. I think Rogan might have been referring to this one. He might have been referring to another one. But play, this is the latest Joe Biden flub. Play one. And turn, turn this primary from a campaign that's about negative attacks into one about what we're for because we cannot get reelect. We cannot win this reelection. Excuse me, we can only re-elect Donald Trump. We cannot win this re-election. We can only re-elect Donald Trump. I mean, he stopped to try to pick his words, and that's what he comes up with. You know, on the left, they make fun of Trump, and they say that he's that he's got dementia, and they're very callous about that, I would know, too. I mean, I, I do try to be more... Uh, more cautious, you know, being flippant about things like dementia. I mean, dementia is very sad, very serious, and a lot of people's loved ones will suffer from it. It's something that I wish uh, we had you know, better treatments for, better medication for. Uh, you know, Alzheimer's is something that we, I, I wish we could cure, and we don't even really have m- much of anything to be able to, to fight back against it at this point. Um, so, but when it was Trump, it was all, oh, he's, he's got dementia. Ha ha. He's, he's, you know, falling apart because he would say like 
too much. They said he sounded like a valley girl or, you know, the way that his speech pattern would sort of just stop and go like this. And I mean, it sounds like a guy from it sounds like a guy from Queens. I mean, I'm from here, so I know there's, there's nothing about him. I've never heard Donald Trump speaking and say, yeah, it's like he's a guy who's lost in. Uh, you know, lost in a in a clinical medical sense, like he he can't understand where he is or what's going on. I, we've all had. I mean, am I? I'm picking out Joe Rogan there, for example. Is he seeing something that's not there? Is he just some some Trump bot? No, I know he endorsed endorsed Bernie Sanders, but his whole brand is that he tries to be a a fair minded person about things. And I've seen him talk to conservatives and do so respectfully. It's not impossible to do, by the way. A lot of libs out there seem to think that you can't have a reasonable discussion with a, with an intelligent conservative on their media platforms, that it always has to be attack, destroy, get them. You know, they, they can't actually just do an exchange of ideas and let everybody come away from it a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser, and, you know, maybe a little bit more in touch with one another. Uh, Biden is a mess. And I, I also can't help it but note that... Uh, Kamala Harris decided to endorse Biden because now, I mean, now the establishment and Biden is the establishment candidate. He's the guy. Kamala Harris decided to endorse Biden over the weekend. But I remember what Kamala had to say about Biden when she was trying to beat him. And it seems a little bit self uh, self motivated, doesn't it? For all of a sudden come out with this endorsement of Joe Biden. Play uh, 15. It was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. As Attorney General of California, I was very proud to put in place a, a requirement that all my special agents would wear body cameras and keep those cameras on. She went from that. Let's let's be clear. Essentially, saying that Joe Biden is like kind of a racist, right? Why would he oppose busing for no good reason, unless he's was being a little bit of a racist, right? I've talked to you about how, if you look at the history of busing, it's much more complicated. If you look at how many kids who were bussed hated it, didn't want it, their parents didn't want it, including you know, black children, white children, didn't want it. Not all of them, but a lot of them. But politicians knew better. Not allowed to have choice. Sorry. Bigger social engineering to get through. Bigger social justice agenda to achieve at the expense of your kids, their future, their happiness, their day-to-day. Yeah, it doesn't matter to Democrats. They got a bigger idea, right? That's the reality of busing. They, they never talk about this. They always just act like it was this unmitigated victory for, for civil rights and for you know, nothing but good things come from it. But she went from that over the weekend to this, play three. So I just wanted you guys to know, because you've been supporting me for so long, and um, I just wanted you guys to know, I have decided that I am with great enthusiasm going to endorse Joe Biden for President of the United States. I believe in Joe. 
I really believe in him, and I have known him for a long time. One of the things that we need right now is we need a leader who really does care about the people and who can therefore unify the people, and I believe Joe can do that. Um, I am supporting Joe because I believe that he is a man who has lived his life with great dignity. Um, he is a, a, a public servant who has always worked for the best of who we are as a nation, and we need that right now. There is so much at stake in this election, guys. He's always worked for what's best, except for being a racist about busing, right? What, what, are, what did I miss? How did that change so suddenly, so quickly? Oh, was it all just... Was that all just kind of a, a dirty, underhanded attack then? Meant in bad faith because Kamala thought, because the media told her that she had a big shot at the pres- at the uh, nomination and maybe the presidency, that whatever she had to do, she should do. Reminds me a little bit of what faces Elizabeth Warren right now. Elizabeth Warren, I hope she stays around just so I can pretend to be her because she... I, every whatever I do it, people are like, oh, you know, I know exactly who you're trying to do an impression of. She was on SNL over the weekend with uh, with Kate Kate McKinnon, I think's her name, right? Yeah, pretending to be her. I, you know, why why can't SNL just try to be funny? Why why does it have to be like the DNC sketch comedy show? It's just, it's just pathetic, right? I mean, I guess it's NBC, and that's just what we all are supposed to expect, but. You know they they're not uh, they're not doing any fun sketches like this with the uh, Republicans anytime anytime lately at least not that I've seen anyway so Warren is uh, she's still waiting to see who she will endorse and that's big because uh, if she were to endorse Joe Biden it would really be for anyone who's looking at this and assessing what's going on if she endorses Joe Biden. It is clear that her entire campaign about standing up to Wall Street and caring about the working class and care, that was all just really a fraud. That was all just, you know, oh, well, whatever I have to say, whenever I have to say it. And so that's a possibility. But she knows if she wants to be in the cabinet or even just in really tight with the, with the new administration. Administration is very powerful, a lot of jobs to give out to people, a lot of patrons, a lot of access, a lot of power. She wants to be on the good side of that. She's got to get on the get on the Biden train now, probably, right? So that's one option. Or the other option would be to endorse Bernie Sanders. Here's what the Burns said about a play eleven. Can you win this nomination without the support of Elizabeth Warren? Yeah, well, I certainly would love to have the support of Senator Warren, but yes, of course we can. We can win this because we are going to win the support of working people all over this country who agree with our agenda that, among many other things, the time is long overdue to recognize that health care is a human right in this country, not a privilege. We must pass a Medicare for all single-payer program. Now, this is what I meant. I meant to get to this before... um, before we had a transition between segments there. First off, I mean, Bernie saying, you know, we can we can win without Warren, but we want her support. Yeah, of course, not, not a surprise. But Medicare for all, healthcare is a human right. We're seeing this experiment now play out in a sense, in a way that we should all pay attention to. It is the position of Bernie Sanders that if only there was legislation that said, if only the law in this country said that you have a right to go into any medical facility that you choose and to be treated 
and it'll cost nothing. If only that law existed, we would be in much better shape right now, not just as a country in general, but in better shape with the coronavirus epidemic spreading. That ignores reality. You see what's happening in Italy, where they've had a really bad, uh, really bad breakout that is now, I mean, I don't know the numbers offhand, but it's, you know, you've got thousands infected. I think a few hundred have died and and it's and it's still spreading, still getting worse. And there are, all, for a lot of the people that are getting infected, there are concerns about how long they'll have to be assisted assisted in their breathing. What ends up happening is your lungs, when you get this, it's an upper respiratory infection, your your lungs cease being able to function, and, and so you need re- a respirator. You actually need help breathing, and that also prevents, because if your lungs become overtaxed, there can be other organ failure that occurs. I think liver failure can happen, and so they're, they're trying to keep all your organs going as your body tries to fight off the disease. If you're elderly, this is the big concern is that your body just becomes overwhelmed by this and you your already weakened immune system is not enough to fight it off and then you have organ failure and you die. Uh, pneumonia is a big a big concern as well, but this is you're seeing an, an analysis that an analysis right now that'll make the rounds uh, there's lots of them on how if this gets as bad as some people are saying and that's what I want to walk you through. Right now let, let's say that it gets to the point in um, in Italy We'll stay. We'll keep it in Italy, where they have, you know, fifty thousand confirmed cases, and of that fifty thousand confirmed cases, they've got um, ten thousand people who aren't dying from it, but need serious medical care. Like need to be in. What happens when they don't have enough hospital beds? What happens when they don't have enough respirators? What happens when they don't have enough doctors and nurses to attend to those individuals? That's the fear. Do you know what? universal medical care does for that in the sense that, you know, the, a law that says everyone must get care, you know what it does? Nothing. You, you, you go to a hospital and say, hey, I'm, the law says that I, I have to be treated and I, I'm worried that I've got, you know, coronavirus, I, I can't really breathe. You know, they're going to put you on a cot somewhere and they're going to get you what they can get you when they can get it for you. Who are you going to complain to? Where else are you going to go? Nowhere. The government's the only checkbook on this issue, right? That's what we've been told is the best thing. Who are you going to go say, hey, hold on a second, I'm really worried. I need, I need more help than I'm getting. When the doctor comes in and says, sorry, we don't, we don't have a, a bed for you in the ICU, but you know we can keep you out here in this waiting room in the hallway, and uh, we'll put you on an IV if we have enough IVs, and we'll try to get you a respirator if and when your lungs start to fail, but that's what we got. And by the way, I'm not blaming the doctor. That's just the doctor saying, look, this is what we got. Do you think there's some law that Bernie Sanders would want to be the case where you could walk in and demand medical care? Does that see they don't understand that supply and demand exists whether they want it to or not? This is a, this is one of the fundamental failures of Marxism, which is what Bernie Sanders is a Marxist. That and and I keep hearing people say, "Oh, wouldn't it be better if we all had universal medical care?" No, because right now what you really want are people having to make very clear determinations about whether or not they should go to the hospital, and part of that is in fact the the cost. You know, I mean, I, I went to the ER uh, for, you know, for what I thought was basically flu uh, once and because uh, I had, you know, fever and everything. It was like $1,000 to just sit there in the way. I didn't even get treated. Just sit there in the waiting room and have them take my vitals. Tell me my blood pressure was fine. Now go sit in the waiting room for six hours. 1000 bucks. Guess what? I'm not going back to the hospital unless things are really bad. 
Bernie Sanders thinks that if we had the government writing checks for everybody, that would make it better when the situation is overwhelming the supply of medical care. That's the real concern. Well, what do you think the government's going to do? Are you going to just manufacture more doctors? Just just have more nurses appear like off an assembly line? Oh, we think the government's really good at training the best nurses? The government's really good at creating doctors? No. The market creates these things. The employment sector. And the different tools that are needed to make these hospitals able to have the facilities necessary to treat people. That's all. This is all. There's market forces with all of this. Bernie Sanders makes it sound like if only the government was writing the checks, we'd all be fine. That's because Bernie Sanders doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I think that we are at a tough point right now because there's a lot of people who are concerned about uh, Joe Biden's ability to carry the ball all the way across the end line without fumbling. And I think that Castro has some really uh, legitimate concerns about can he be someone in a long, grueling campaign uh, that can get the ball over the line. But there are definitely moments where you listen to Joe Biden and you just wonder. You just wonder is right. Cory Booker's telling us what we already know. This is the guy. Democrats are running around talking about how Trump is is incompetent and people are dying in this country because of Trump's incompetence around coronavirus. And the alternative they offer is Bernie Sanders. That that's that's their serious position. Absurd, completely absurd. And also, we do have to deal with this problem. Uh, the three most likely candidates to be president going forward are all uh, people in the highest age cohort of risk category for this virus. What does that mean? What should we think is going to happen here? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If Bernie Sanders is the Democratic nominee, will you campaign for him? I will support the nominee of the Democratic Party. But will you campaign for him? I don't know if he would ask me to campaign for him, Fareed, because I have no idea what he is uh, thinking about for a general election campaign. As I've said many times, I do not think he's our strongest uh, nominee against Donald Trump. Is that uh, an endorsement of Joe Biden? I'm not endorsing. Uh, There's nobody left. Well, I, mean, I guess that's true. There isn't anybody it. left. So Hillary's kind of like, yeah, I'll do what the party needs me to do, but I don't think any of these candidates are that great. I got a better candidate in mind. Not going to name her right now. Hello? Not going to name her, but she's out there. She's out there. Here's a, something that we, we have to discuss. You know, the calls to the media are for less public gatherings. You know, they, they have had journalists ask Trump, don't you think you shouldn't have these rallies? I haven't heard now. When I say this, maybe they have been asked this too. I haven't heard anyone ask Joe Biden or or Bernie Sanders that. Bernie Sanders had a heart attack like what six months ago, and he's basically eighty. And they're not asking him, but they're asking Trump. Uh, this is a real concern, and I don't know if anyone's really thought this one through. But you have Trump, Biden, Bernie. They're all people who are in the highest risk cohort in terms of their age, and in the case of Bernie Sanders, also complicating health conditions. When you've just had a heart attack, and, oh, Bernie Sanders, mind you, would not release his full medical history recently. He said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. 
I said I was, but I'm not. But don't worry. Why should we not worry? I mean, wouldn't anybody be worried about this? Does this mean that they're not going to have these rallies? I mean, we, we do have to take seriously the possibility that you might have a, a one of the candidates for president fall ill with this. And it wouldn't be something that we could just say, oh, well, you know, he'll be fine in a week. Uh, these candidates are out there doing things. You know, CPAC released, and this is all out there now. You know, CPAC let it be known that they have uh, they had somebody at CPAC who had, has tested positive for coronavirus. I don't know who the person is, and I don't think it really. I wasn't there, so it doesn't doesn't matter to know the specific name at this point. Uh, but Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, has decided to voluntarily quarantine himself. There are others. I believe Matt Schlapp, who's the head of the American Conservative Union that puts on CBAC, he has voluntarily quarantined himself. There are others who are staying with a, a voluntary 14-day quarantine just to be on the safe side. And you know that was at CPAC, where you have a lot of people. CPAC is, for those who haven't been, I mean, I've been in the past, it's a lot of you know handshaking, chatting, pressing the palms, talking to folks. It's kind of like a big political rally in that sense. Well, Trump and Bernie and Biden are going to be doing rally after rally after rally after rally. Talking to people, shaking hands, getting close to them. And Trump has said, look, I'm going to do this you know, regardless. Very important that anybody who's going to be in that case or in, in that uh, situation is um, keeping their immunity at the strongest level possible. It means, you know, what are you eating? How much sleep are you getting? Are you hydrating enough? And another part of this is how much stress are you putting yourself under? Stress is very bad for your immune system. And I know that sounds very kind of new agey, like I'm sitting here doing a show where we should have wind chimes in the background and a bunch of, you know, Buddha statues or something, and everyone's talking about enlightenment. But no, uh, stress is very bad for your immune system, and being on the campaign trail is a clearly very stressful, very taxing thing. Uh, you know, the, the what, what are the chances that... Of these three individuals, Trump, Bernie, Biden, shaking hands with people, going out to all these rallies, one of them may contract coronavirus over the next the next nine months. Remember, it may fade now, but if you look at and I, I don't like pointing out the Spanish flu epidemic, that was 1918. We didn't have antibiotics. We had a much less developed public health system, much less ability to communicate with different places about where there were outbreaks and what resources were needed. And, and there's a whole different situation going on. But if you look at just the spread, the initial spread of Spanish flu, uh, and then the worst uh, spike in deaths, the spike in deaths occurred in the fall of 2018. I mean, the initial disease popped up, I think, in February, March of 2018. But it was in the fall at the end of that year that you had this huge explosion of uh, infections and, and deaths. So there is a very high likelihood that there will at least be a another round of this, that there will be a, a surge again in, in infections and in possible, uh, possible deaths from this right in the height of the campaign season. What are the candidates going to do? Are they going to stay home? Are they going to not have rallies? I just don't think that that's realistic, but this is, you know, I, I, I will say I actively pray for the, the health and continued fitness of anybody, you know, any of my fellow Americans, anyone around the world, although I pray for the whole world might be, 
you know, well, I guess we can do that. So, but specifically, if we're talking about the the candidates for the presidency, I want Joe Biden, I want Bernie Sanders, and certainly I want Donald Trump to be as healthy as possible, live as long as humanly possible, and you know, God forbid any of them uh, come down with, with coronavirus. That said, I do think this has to be considered as a as a real possibility. Think about the this could change history, my friends. Is really what we're getting into here. If one of these candidates ends up getting coronavirus, um, that will change the whole the whole nature of the race, won't it? I mean, that will change the the 2020 presidential election very possibly. I should maybe they get it and it's a week and they're sick and then they're fine and then they move forward. You know, that's also possible too. But and this is this is now getting to a place where we can't we can't ignore that, especially you know our. our uh, political class is very much the top of our political class is composed of a lot of people that are are up there in terms of age and are the one, ones that are they're in the most you know Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, uh, Donald Trump, Joe Biden. I mean, you look at the uh, Bernie Sanders. I mean, just go through the list: Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, all these different big political names. They're people who are in their seventies. And some of them are pushing 80. So they're in this high-risk category. Does does that mean that they aren't going to continue to do what they have scheduled politically? Are they, you know, what message would that send to the public? I don't have answers on this other than just to say that that needs to be thought about a little bit. Should they really be out there shaking hands? Should they really be out there, you know, just heaven forbid that moment when someone at a presidential, at a rally you know, some guy in the crowd, maybe he's just got allergies, like coughs on Joe Biden or something as he walks by. I mean, people are going to lose their minds. I mean, I'm taking the subway in New York all the time, which is one of the worst things you can probably do. I'm exposed to, you know, people, millions and millions of people take the subway every day from all over the world. And this is just the reality of my life. But in terms of the transmission, uh, transmission possibilities, the subway is a really bad place to be. Now they're scrubbing it down and everything else. As if that's going to make a big difference. I don't think it is. Uh, there's only so much you can do, though. There's only so much you can do. So as much as I like to counsel, you know, stiff upper lip, keep calm and carry on, all that stuff, there's uh, there's some stuff here that could really shake up, shake up not just American politics, shake up the history of this country if this continues. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, this is kind of a surprise. New York State is now producing its own hand sanitizer, NYS Clean. Governor Andrew Cuomo has announced the product as a response to price gouging on hand sanitizer amid coronavirus fears. And it is made by New York prisoners in the Department of Corrections of New York State system. Around 100,000 gallons a day of the product is due to be distributed to places like schools, not-for-profits, and other government agencies. Amid surging numbers of novel coronavirus cases, there's a rush on hand sanitizers. Stock uh, stock is hugely inflating product prices. Um, last week, a hardware store in Manhattan was fined for hiking prices on products like hand sanitizer and antibacterial wipes. We are problem solvers, Cuomo said on Monday, and there's price gouging on hand. What do you do? Make your own hand sanitizer. Well, yeah. let's see how this goes. Here we got government. Deciding to create its own product line for hand sanitizer. Uh, from what I understand, hand sanitizer isn't really 
the uh, as effective a tool in this fight as a lot of people would like to believe that it is. I mean, I'm sure it's better than nothing, but remember, yeah, if you touch something and then touch your mouth or touch your eyes, your nose, you can get coronavirus uh, or, or influenza, standard influenza, of course. But keep in mind, if you walk into a room, aerosolized droplets can stay in the air for about 10 minutes. And if someone sneezes, there's like an eight-foot spray of aerosolized droplets, six to eight feet, I think, is what people estimate. Depends on how hard you sneeze. And that just means you walk in, you breathe that in, or any of that mist gets into your eyes or your nasal nasal passageway, you got coronavirus now, right? That's, that's how this actually works. So the hand sanitizer thing is nice. Every time I read some reminder, don't touch your face, it just reminds me that 15 seconds before I read that, I had touched my face. I don't know. I'm not good at not touching, you know, maybe I need to shave my beard. I don't know. It's probably, beard is probably not good for epidemiological reasons, but can't can't bail on the beard at this point. Uh, also, this this came out of a, so I was at, uh, I was at church yesterday, uh, right near, right in sort of lower midtown Manhattan. And uh, I was thinking about this, and I, I had a feeling because you know at the end everyone gets called up for, uh, everyone gets called up for communion, and and uh, I was thinking about how, the, well the priest said he said look I'm not gonna put the host in your mouth I'm going to put it in your hand and you put it in your mouth we're not doing the I put it directly into your mouth. Which but I've never been somebody that wanted the priest to, but I don't want anyone's fingers in my mouth. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I don't like that. So he said that's what they're doing. Well, now we got a problem because in D.C., uh, and I know this church in D.C., a priest has coronavirus confirmed. He offered communion and shook hands with more than 500 worshipers last week and the week of February 24th. All worshipers who visited the Christ Church in Georgetown, D.C., must self-quarantine, self-quarantine, and church is canceled for the first time since the 1800s. You know, producer Mark, I gotta say, uh, one one thing I've always I've always been opposed to the the little cup, you know, the chalice with the blood of Christ in it. You know, a good Catholic boy, they know all this stuff. The point I'm making is that. They take the little 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 like napkin and they wipe it. Mm-mm, no, not good enough for me. Sorry, yeah. especially now. But that's never been good enough for me. Like I don't want a cold. I don't want cold sores. I don't want any of that stuff. And everyone drinking from the same cup. Would you ever do that? And you're you know, not in a million years. Not in a million years. No. And this is what I, I've seen people do this all the time. The, and the priest does this little like he like wipes the slobber off. I'm like I know enough about back bacteria. Yeah. To wipes the saliva off, I should say, the bacteria to know that that does not actually do anything, really. I won't even use a public toilet. Definitely wouldn't use a public cup. Yeah. So there's going to be some changes in, in, in churches for sure. Uh, you know, church attendance is about to go down. I, I feel bad, but that's what's going to end up happening. When I was in church yesterday... And, you know, for whatever reason, there's always I, I think it's because you're in a you're in a church. There's the the cavernous nature of most churches here in New York. I mean, some churches are a lot smaller, other parts of the country, but some most of the Catholic churches you go to here almost feel they some are cathedrals, but a lot of them feel like cathedrals. They're very spacious on the inside. But you can always hear someone coughing somewhere and like nobody really wants to be in church right now where there's anybody, anybody who's uh, coughing loudly. That's not that is not something that goes over well with the people around you 
so that just means I think you're going to have more people staying home from church. I, I don't know what it's going to take for everyone to, to, to calm down about this a little bit. I just think that the media has managed to get everybody in this mood right now. We're all worried. There's all this panic buying of hand sanitizer and masks. The stock market's getting crushed. You know, this is this is the worst. Look, this is the worst, most down period of the Trump presidency so far. And it's really the scariest the country has felt since the 2008-2009 financial crash. I will note that that was a systemic financial issue that a lot of people said did threaten the very the very foundation of the global financial system. And they, they can explain why that is. It's not just a theory. I mean, there were some real concerns that there would be a and there'll be collapse of credit markets, and with collapse of credit markets, guess what? No bread on the shelves, no milk in the store, kind of thing. Uh, this is not nearly as this is not nearly as financially bad as that was, and I don't think it should be. But if people keep keep doing this, keep going to these extremes, thinking that they have to cancel all these different events, they they can't go out, they can't do things, and a lot of I, I was with a friend over the weekend, and and you know, she was telling me that there was. Uh, self-quarantining going on now in her office. I mean, people are just saying, hey, I want to work from home. Bruce and Mark, we are soldiers for freedom in America. Oh, so I was just going to ask, come, can I just Yeah, that's what weeks? I thought. Yeah. No, we come into work, all right? We come in here to the hut. Until I figure out how I can do this show with video remotely, then we can stay home. We're more than but, six feet apart. That's Yeah, hmm. and plus I don't, I don't sneeze, I think. It's been a long time. So, look, the oh, the other thing I, I meant to mention before is so New York State has its own uh, its own hand sanitizer, but there's also advice from Governor Cuomo, and I just had to laugh about this one. He so he's come up with this idea, New York clean, New York State clean, or whatever. So, okay, he also has said that if a quote subway car or bus is crowded, try to take the next one and avoid densely packed places. Um, you will be waiting for a subway that is not densely packed during, you know, the times when you need the subway forever. Yeah. This is not advice. This is absurd. And even in the middle of the night, if you're trying to ride the subway, it's packed because there's only one train every 20 minutes. Right. So that it'll never happen. Right. This is, this is crazy. Yeah. But this is where it is. We're being told, avoid crowded subway trains when every subway train in New York is crowded. Avoid public places when... People need to work. People need to do stuff. You know, life does have to go on. How long would we... Think about it this way. If if our real plan here is to stop living our lives and to retreat into these these bubbles of pre, pre-quarantine quarantine, right? There's no reason to think you've been exposed, but you're just going to segment yourself off from, from the rest of the population. When do we stop doing that? Because there could be an outbreak of this at any point in time. When, when, when do we decide that it's safe? Do we just all of a sudden allow this to, you know, collapse civilization? I mean, I know that's extreme. It's crazy. But that's what it feels like people are starting to think in their heads is, is what's going to happen. And that's that's absurd. I mean, we, we made it through. Not only did we make it through the Spanish flu, which did kill about 50 million people globally. But uh, the Spanish flu and then afterwards you had something called the 1920s. People referred to it as the Roaring Twenties. We recovered. You know, we, we got past it. You know, people got it. They then were immune to it afterwards, and then we move forward, right? We're going to get through this. The panic is not helpful. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
One thing I've learned in life is that you can tell a lot about a person by how they treat other people when they're under stress. So it's a good way to figure out who you're really dealing with. Pay attention when someone's in a, a bad mood, had a bad day. How do they treat people? Uh, not just people they know well. How do they treat strangers, people they come across? Do they lash out? Do they act out? Um, I also have a, a version of this for if you play sports or you know compete with somebody in a friendly way. I mean, I used to play a lot of a lot of tennis with different people here in New York, and there are the people who, when they're losing, lose gracefully and are still even if they're frustrated, they're losing. They still enjoy themselves and and act with a lot of a lot of class and good sportsmanship. And other people that are total maniacs. Uh, I've played tennis with people that some of you would actually know if I were to name them, uh, who are well-known individuals who, when they start losing. They are total maniacs, and it tells you a lot about how they really are in life. Um, we've all had this, you know, the airlines right now are getting just shellacked. I mean, it's a rough, rough time to be any of the, any, really any airline anywhere. I mean, they're just people who don't want to get on. The only thing worse than being on a plane right now, and I just flew to L.A. for, you know, spent 12 hours on flights, what was it, a couple weeks ago. But the only thing worse than being on a plane right now for most people is, being on a cruise ship and the only thing worse than being on a cruise ship is i don't know being stuck in like solitary confinement in a maximum security prison or something like a cruise ship sounds horrible i don't know i'm sorry cruise ship is not i've never been a cruise person and this is one of these moments where i sit around saying I'm not about to be coming anytime soon so when i want off the boat i want off the boat that's always my rule so i'll go on the ocean i'll go on a lake i'll go on a pond i'll go on a river but I have to be able to say, you know what? I've had enough. I'm done. And I don't ever want to be told, you know, our matey, we're seven hours from land and we got a 2,000 other people enjoying their pinochle and shuffleboard while you're pitching over the side with your green gills. Arr. And they don't they don't have pirates on. What do you think of cruise ships? Cruise ships? I don't know, man. I feel like they like the captain probably, you know. None of that. The that captain has like a little parrot, a little a little earring, and no, no, none of that. No, probably want no. No, they have like Broadway shows and bars. Yeah, all right, all right. So maybe I don't know that much about cruise ships, but I'm just trying to say I want to be able to get off and go to land. I don't want to be told land is far away. Suck it up. Put one of those little things on your wrist that's supposed to deal with seasickness. When I'm tossing my cookies, I don't want anyone giving me some little thing that's supposed to like press on my wrist to make it all better. Like, oh, put it. Mm-mm. I don't believe those Do things work. Do you get seasick? Oh yeah. Oh well, oh, the cruise wouldn't be good for you. Yeah, well, that's why. That's of course. This is why. This is like my worst nightmare. The first time I went, I got seasick for like two minutes when I finally realized the boat was moving. Then I was fine. Oh, okay. Huh. Well, that's not that bad. So, hey, look, I mean, I feel like you have enough pina coladas and get some sun. Anything can be fun. So there's that. Oh, I had plenty of pina coladas. <sighs> They're delicious. Not a health food, but delicious. Uh, so here's here's what I got for you though on on well flying. As I said, no one wants to no one wants to fly these days. But we've all had that extreme frustration. I mean, airlines. I've always said give you the closest thing as an American living in in our current era. Airlines give you the closest thing to what it would feel like to be dealing in a dealing with a business in a totalitarian state right because they just you got you got nothing they own they own you like they want to keep you out on the tarmac for a couple of hours it's, a, it's like they're kidnapping you and they, you know they don't know if they can take off oh sorry you know they they love to do this in, in an era of instantaneous communication 
airlines will tell you, hey, so the plane is taking off. It'll be here in, in 30 minutes. And then 30 minutes will go by and you'll be like, oh, no, actually, it hasn't taken off. And it might be a three hour delay. Sorry. Does that ruin your whole weekend? Whoops. Too bad. Suck it up. That's basically what a lot of us have dealt with with airlines. I mean, I've dealt with it. I've I've had uh, my, my one of my worst airline stories was actually coming from Boston to New York, where they kept pushing off and doing the two hour. There were some thunderstorms. They kept thinking they were going to take off in, in a lull in a thunderstorm because it's about a 30 minute flight max or something from Boston to New York once you get airborne. And uh, nope. Nope, nope. We uh, we kept pushing off and coming back, pushing off. I had an 8 a.m. flight from Boston to New York. I almost missed my 6 p.m. radio show. All right, so that gives you... I had 10 hours for a 30-minute flight, and I had to bail at the last minute and run and find an affiliate station in Boston. And the airline, did, did, they feel, did they feel bad about it? No. Did I get some like, hey, you get to fry, uh, fly, fly free somewhere? Nope, none of that stuff. So I, I understand frustration with airlines and i also understand that there does seem to be an inexcusable uh trend in airlines where they just you pay to be less punished it's one of the few businesses where instead of things get like your iphone is getting smarter faster better you know more you know longer battery easier to carry everything right other other consumer industries consumer products get better and better and better all the time airlines get worse somehow seats are smaller less comfortable and there's yeah we have the little entertainment system in the back of the seat so there's some improvements but you know they, they and they have to pay for bags i thought that was just supposed to be after like 9-11 as an emergency measure for the airlines oh they just decided to keep it right so they're always just trying to extract as much from me as possible i i got plenty of problems plenty of beef with airlines can't we just have an airline that comes out that's like we're gonna like all the seats are gonna be reasonably comfortable it's gonna be a little bit more expensive it's not business class seats but you know all the seats will be reasonably comfortable and everything there'll be enough room for your knees so you're not in the chair in front of you Nope, can't have that. Have to have, like, Soviet Union Airlines. United. Uh, so, yeah. I understand the frustrations. I also know that as somebody in public life, you always have to hold back from going completely berserk on, one, because you should just be a nice person. Uh, two, because very rarely do you have access to the person who is actually making the decisions or, or messing things up that are ruining your day. So you're just yelling at somebody who works for a huge company that doesn't get to do anything about it to make anything better. You're just being mean to somebody, basically ruining their day. And then also, it's usually brand damaging to look like a huge jerk. But Jenk of the Young Turks, Jenk the Jerk, just got crushed in his congressional primary, fifth place, I think, out in California, and uh, is well known for hiring and and uh, promoting some of the worst people on the internet to spew their woke Marxist garbage. They're just ignorant Marxist bile all over the interwebs. But young, stupid leftists who come out of college and don't know anything, they're like, yeah, these people are like revolutionaries, man. They're smart. Uh, anyway, Jenk, this is not... You know, I always think that you got to be you got to approach your life now if you have if you're in public life, you got to approach your life as as there's always the possibility that somebody is is taping what you're doing. And I, I have a whole theory about this, too, which I've mentioned before on this show in years past, where I think that crime has dropped dramatically, but also human behavior in many in many ways is getting better because we're always being monitored because of the elect because of technology, because of the technological world that we live in now where there's forget about just handheld phones that all have video and instantaneous upload and streaming capability but they're just there are cameras everywhere 
I mean, I, I walk around my building here in New York and all the common spaces, there are cameras in every room that are going 24-7. So everything that I'm doing in there is being watched, being recorded, being watched, being recorded all the time. Well, that changes your behavior, right? You know, I'm, I'm less likely to go for like a, a totally nude midnight stroll through the gym in my building, given that there are cameras everywhere, right? I'm not saying there's like no chance I would do it. Well, no, there is no chance I would do it. But I'm just saying it's less likely that any individual would do that kind of stuff. Um, I do know from a previous building that I lived in that the superintendent told me that one time there were some folks who did not realize in what was called the uh, the communal lounge on the roof of a building that there were cameras, and they uh, did stuff, you know? So... Sometimes you don't know, and you know that'll you'll that won't affect your behavior. But I do think it's affecting human behavior in general, and I do think that um, for those of you who are like, "Oh, was that is that like you have a friend?" No, it really wasn't me. I did. I did. I didn't even know who the people were, but the superintendent gave me some clues. Uh, this is where you have to remind yourself: if you're somebody in the public eye, you could always be recorded, and this could always be shown anywhere. Jenk, however, recorded this interaction himself with an airline employee when there's a delay and then uploaded it to the Internet as though he's like the hero here. Play uh, whatever the Jenk the Jerk clip is. Where's the plane? Is there a plane? Where is it? Where's the plane? You know, but listen, if we just sit here and take it, they'd have us here until 6 in the morning and then they'd even harder okay so i need you to, you're a supervisor aren't you where's the plane sorry i'm not gonna answer your question no i know because i've been here for four hours don't give me this where's the plane <laughs> I mean, oh, what a jerk yeah does he think that the, does he think that the woman who's sitting there at the computer is is just intentionally like not not bringing the plane on time now i do understand the frustration with airlines when they I do think that airlines play games. I mean, I know that they do when they're not really telling people what they already know because they kind of want to see if maybe things will get better, if the timeline will be condensed. There could be more streamlined communication. I totally get that. But by the way, that Jen clip goes on much longer, and he's you know you know berating this person and yelling at yelling at her. Um, I would just note that this is somebody whose whole uh, whole public mantra is to help the working class and that socialism would be better for America and then we should all have socialism and it's so great. Uh, there is this this constant pretense among the among people on the left that they care about everybody that they say is oppressed, whether it's minorities or women or you know whatever whoever it may be. But more than that uh, or, or more specifically in, in this discussion that they care so much about about the everyday working people in America. Um, I just think there's a lot of very clear evidence that that's just not true. <laughs> they, they really don't care. They like to pretend that they care. They like to have, you know, long philosophical conversations about the uh, possibility of caring about people who work long hours for not a lot of pay. But when they actually have to interact with them and deal with them, uh, they're often, I mean, this is what you get with MSNBC and these different, these are, these are liberal millionaires I mean, Cenk, Cenk raised $20 million for the Young Turks from some left-wing uh, Pierre Omidyar guy who also, I think, funded The Intercept. I might be wrong on this, but he's raised all this money. I'm sure he's paying himself probably a million dollars a year, maybe half a million dollars a year to run The Young Turks. These are rich people who talk constantly about how much they care about the poor and the oppressed. But then when they really get to interact with, with the oppressed or the working people, uh, they show you who they really are.
And I think when people show you who who they are, uh, we should remember that. We should not just skip past it and, and assume that maybe they were, you know, having a bad day or something else. So Jenk's a jerk, as I've been telling you all along, and uh, the Young Turks is the worst the worst left-wing media organization on the internet, which says a lot. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty competitive space to be the worst of the left on the internet, but they're definitely there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I will miss that so much if I don't get to hear that once in a while from the president because he were to lose re-election. So he's got to win re-election just so I get to continue to hear him call CNN fake news. It's the best. It's it's the greatest. CNN deserves every second of it. They deserve every time he says it. That 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 fake news organization deserves to be called fake news every day. Really, I mean, the president should just make a. He should just have like a standing appointment where he walks out to a podium. He's like, "Hey, just so everyone's clear, CNN still fake news, still a bunch of jerks over there." But unfortunately, I can't get everything that I want. I can't get everything that I want in life. Um, it was international. I think it was International Women's Day over the weekend, which was interesting. Bernie Sanders. Uh, I also, I don't know how much these days. This is like what activists put on calendars because no one's like you can't do that, right? You can call any day, any day. You know, I, I want to declare Wednesday International like Cookie Eating Day. Producer Mark, what do you think? I did. I, I was part of uh, a a baking duo that made some. I, you know what? We'll bring we'll bring one in for you tomorrow. Okay. Amazing, amazing cookies. It's not going to beat these cookies I've been recently buying online. What are these cookies you've been recently buying? So there's online? this Instagram account. I'll shout them out called My Cookie Dealer. Huh. And they make these half pound cookies. Half. And they only pound cookies. Half a pound. And they only drop them when she's baking. So like it is a show post on Instagram. It's up. Site goes live. You have that like an hour order. And they ship them to your house. How quickly can you get them? They, I mean, it's, I think they're New York based, so they'll come within what, a day. What yeah. What kind of cookies have you had? Uh, let's see. Uh, the OG, the original, is a chocolate chip, of but course. it's like stuffed with so much chocolate chunks. It's amazing. It's like cake. Uh, there's an Oreo one, which has like Oreo cream in the middle and chocolate chips and all this stuff. There's a cannoli stuffed one. They have some crazy cookies. Oh, I've been spending I'm a fair amount of time with a, a, a mm. world class amateur baker. So uh, she's made some cookies. We'll bring you some cookies. But are smart. they gluten free? They are, mm. uh, of course, because they're made for me. Yeah. But I'll bring you some of these gluten free cookies. That are, are they good? good? They're amazing, amazing, well, top amazing. quality, like really good. Okay. I'm gonna bring them in to you. You can. I believe. I'll yeah, believe. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll you try. believe. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring them in for you. Are you? I, I tweeted out last week about oatmeal raisin cookies, and everyone gave me a hard time about this because <laughs> the reality is, it really should be oatmeal chocolate chip. That's actually the best of both worlds because no. everyone knows chocolate chips are better than raisins. So. No. None what? of the oatmeal, none of the raisins. You don't like any of the oatmeal stuff? No, not in a cookie. I do think it's funny because people think that it's somehow healthier. Nope, same calories, same same carbs, same Exactly. Thing. So yeah. why would you eat crap? I mean, dude, the oatmeal is a nice consistency. You have that with a little bit of yeah, coffee? Yeah, I'm sure it is for breakfast. Look at this. In a bowl. There's, there's no, no imagination on this one. You know what I, you know what I, I, I told my, my expert baker that uh, we, we should try to make, by the way? Uh, salted caramel cookies or... Earl, Gla- Earl Grey tea flavored cookies. Why? This is amazing. What do you mean? We're trying to be creative. 
That doesn't sound good, though. You're, if a cookie doesn't no, have chocolate in it, no, it's not good. I'm bringing, I'm bringing... I was going to say, if we declared International Cookie Day on Wednesday, which I'm sure there is an International there Cookie a, Day. There is definitely an International Yeah, I just don't even yeah. know what it is. But So you're, you're like, chocolate chip would be the, the, the team that you're playing for. I mean, that is the GOAT, the, the greatest, the greatest of cookie, cookie of all time. Yeah. Not Snickerdoodle? No. no. There's no cookie that will beat... Yeah. Snickerdoodle is what you eat when you've had like three chocolate chips in a row and you want to mix it up, but then you always go back to chocolate chip afterwards, you know? I mean, maybe a double chocolate chip, like, you know, yeah. chocolate base, but yeah. <laughs> same thing. Huh. Snickerdoodle is kind of like your cookie side piece. You know, you got to go to the Snickerdoodle, but, you know, ultimately mm. you're coming home to chocolate chip. Exactly. Yeah. No, I get it. So it was International Women's Day, and I was walking through uh, Washington Square Park here in New York. And I was thinking, to my, oh, wait, wait, here, hold on. But Bernie Sanders, just this, this is like what people are supposed to say about this play, 18. I think women have uh, obstacles placed in front of them that men do not have. Uh, on the other hand, we have made progress in the last uh, 40, 50 years uh, in terms of the number of women who are now in the Congress. You can remember, it wasn't so many years ago, a few decades ago, the Barbara Mikulski of Maryland was the only woman in the United States Senate. And we have made some progress. But the day has got to come sooner and later that women can see themselves equally represented in Congress, a half or more of members of Congress, President of the United States, leaders of companies all over this country. We're making progress, but it's too slow. So does it have to be 50-50? Do we have to have a quota? I just want to know what's, what's enough. And do we discount that women often make different life choices than men, and so that results in different professional paths? Is that We're supposed to pretend that that's not a real thing? Because... All the, quote, social science shows that, but we're, we're going to ignore that, right? <sighs> you know, we, I don't know, we're a society that it feels like we just keep putting motherhood down all the time, and we wonder why we have a lot of the problems we do. Um, I mean, there's that. Um, but I was walking through Washington Square Park, and it was, it was fascinating because it's International Women's Day, and I saw all of these displays about, trans, about how we need to do more for trans women, biological males. So it's International Women's Day. And the activists left in Washington Square Park wanted to remind everybody on International Women's Day, we really need to focus on men who have transitioned to women. Okay, there's that. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buck, it's time for roll call. Roll call. By the way, uh, we we just had somebody, and producer Mark was here, so he can he can back me up on this. We had a very nice gentleman who just came in to spray Lysol on the handle of our studio door. Like this is now, which has that ever happened before, producer Mark? No, but I mean, I'm now getting high from the Lysol yeah. Lysol fumes in here. But I don't mind that. I wish they would just clean like this all the time, though. Yeah. Like, don't you agree that you wish the subway was cleaned all the time like they are right now, I, the door handles all the I time? I was on the subway this morning, and the guy sitting right next to me, and I, I swear this is what happened. He was eating um, peanut M&Ms, which I will say are delicious, and I did eat some sure. myself over the weekend because we put them in the amazing cookies we made. Right. Side note, which you will try. Mm. Um, I was supposed to bring them in today. I forgot. So okay. you know, I was told specifically. I, I'm not a peanut I was told guy, specifically so by a producer Mark Fan that you were supposed to get some of these cookies. Oh. Wait, you don't you don't like chocolate? I don't like peanut, peanut butter, peanuts, anything like really? that. I hate peanut butter. Uh, wait, but even like peanut butter M and M's? Yeah, no. 
Well, I might have to make another batch then. Oh, you oh. only made peanut butter? Yeah, only peanut butter. All right, I'll wait for some different ones. Oh, okay. Whew, I'm glad we didn't waste any of these delicious cookies yeah. on you, sir. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think we're all going to get... I agree that everyone's going a little nuts, but I just wish everyone would clean like this all oh, the time. Oh, the guy sitting next to me, though, he's eating peanut M&Ms, and I'm, he was dropping in the subway car floor M&M after M&M, just yeah. falling on the ground. Just people didn't are disgusting. Care. Didn't care. Yeah. And like, and then we had M&M's rattling around. There's a completely yeah. packed subway car. M&M's rattling around the ground, the floor of the subway car. Yeah. And the guy's just, rah, 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 you know, so M&M's rolling around everywhere. That happens with like coffee all the time. I mean, I guess he's trying to yeah. feed the, you know, the very substantial NYC subway rat population. Yeah. Not that they need the help because they outnumber humans now, but you know, ugh. But isn't that amazing? You go on the subway at any point in time, you will see rats the size of kangaroos. <laughs> Hopping around on those subway tracks. Yeah, I basically live on the. This is why I talk about this on the radio. I like live on the subway now. I have to spend so much time to get to the various radio obligations I have. So anyway, um, but yeah, there, there's big, big rats. Okay, Doug. Hey, Buck. There's a new book about the backstory of the Office, featured in last Friday's New York Post. It's hilarious. By the way, I've not seen the later seasons. Once Corell left, any good? Um, I'll probably check out this. Backstory on the office uh, of the office book that sounds kind of interesting. And as for later seasons post Steve Carell, uh, they're okay. You've seen them, right? Yes, of course. I mean, I like Robert California a little bit because I just like Robert California. Um, Will Ferrell, I think, did damage to his comedy brand by being on, he was horrible. I mean, the last 15 years of his career have done damage. Yeah, he, it's it's amazing that he ever was considered funny, really. I, I don't know. He's gone way, way, he way. He a long time ago. A very long time ago. Yeah. He managed to be kind of funny. And then I think he became more political. He started doing like the George the George Bush uh, Broadway play or movie where he just made fun of Bush the whole time. And I don't know. It, wasn't, it, it hasn't, hasn't gotten good since, since a long time ago. But uh, the later seasons after Corral is not as good, right? It's okay. I, like, I watched it the first time, but any time I rewatch The Office, I skip that and go right to the finale when Corral comes I back. I mean, you still have Dwight Schrute, who, as a character, is one of the funniest TV characters of all time. So Dwight Schrute is amazing on the show. Um, but I have to check out this book. I don't know anything about it. Jason writes, Buck, I've been listening to your show for several months now. I spend a lot of time driving for work and really look forward to hearing the podcast on Spotify. It's an extremely refreshing departure from so many other talk shows, and some of your comments have literally caused me to snort out loud while riding down the highway. I really enjoy hearing from producer Mark, too. Great to hear someone younger than myself that actually understands what's going on and is almost as out of touch with what apps and technology are apparently the hip thing. As I'm in my early 30s, I find myself technically a millennial and horribly at odds socially and politically with so many my, people my age and younger that want the uh, to ride the free stuff bandwagon of today's Democratic Party. I guess their parents neglected to teach them the valuable lessons that nothing is ever free in life. I believe Benjamin Franklin said it best when he said that those who would surrender essential liberty for temporary safety deserve neither. Shields high. Keep up the good work. Well, Jason, thank you. Um, appreciate you uh, writing into us. And I'm so glad to have a, a new member of the team who is now enjoying the show and listening on Spotify. And I, I hope people continue to get, you know, they. Uh, uh, I'm hoping people continue to 
listen to it wherever they find their podcasts. Jesse writes in, thank you, Buck and producer Mark. You keep me well-informed and entertained every day. Buck, your impressions are top shelf. Your Bernie leads me to fits of belly laughter. I've shared your shows with my father and my son. I pass the buck, Shields High. Well, Jesse, the single most helpful, most appreciated thing you can do is to do just that, is to pass the buck. So thank you very much, and I hope your dad and your uh, your son are now on Team Buck themselves, and maybe they'll pass the buck too, and this is how it goes. Uh, we want this to continue to, you know, people talk about things spreading these days and everyone gets scared. We want the podcast to spread far and wide. It's good for everybody. So uh, we really do ask your help with that. And it's it's just an easy, think of it like a conversation starter. Producer Marcus pointed out on a first date, it might be asking a little much for you to be like, hey, babe, have you ever heard of the Buck Sexton show? But, but when you're with your buddies, you know, grilling some burgers, hanging out on the weekends, playing some Flag football or street hockey. See? Street oh, hockey. Well, Look yeah. at that. Yeah. But I don't think first date is probably the way to go with Do this. you do that on first dates? Hey, do you know who I am? <laughs> no. <laughs> because because they would all say no. And then there's nothing worse than being the do you know who I am guy when people are like, no. No, no clue. <laughs> That's not good. It's like, excuse me, are you a... Uh, are you a particularly politically involved person who, nope, nope, they have, they have absolutely no idea. Be like, hey, I thought Rush was bald. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. Joseph, been listening to the show lately on my route. I'm a truck driver. I've picked up a few discussions about Marvel movies. Based on what I've heard you say, I think you would like the Captain America trilogy the best. They are politically and philosophically deeper than much of the rest of the Marvel comic universe movies, particularly the Winter Soldier and Civil War, though admittedly I love all of them. I did see some of Winter Soldier, and it seemed like it was a pretty, probably a pretty good movie to me. Um, is that is that fair? You're yeah, I agree with that assessment of it. I think you would like the Captain America stuff. Yeah, they all are great, but Captain yeah, but America. Th- those are solid. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That guy, uh, that guy, Chris Evans does a pretty good job in it. Uh, didn't they make? They made like more X Men movies recently. And no one even really sees these anymore, right? They're Marvel comic uh, universe, but they don't. Yeah, they they were separate universe technically, and then. The X-Men movies lately have been bad, but the Deadpool movies have been great. I love it. I see. We can agree on that. I thought the, yeah. I thought the first Deadpool movie was hilarious for what it was. So. so I think they're hoping to reboot it, the X-Men, based on Deadpool as well, and then maybe integrate that into the rest of the MCU. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Well, well, I'll check out Winter Soldier for sure. I have a feeling there might be a lot of movie watching time in a lot of people's futures, just because, not because they're going to have to self-quarantine, although that will be a thing that happens to some people. Um, but just because uh, big gatherings right now, you know, I, I was yeah. looking at some concerts I wanted to go to over the weekend. Then I realized I was like, I don't want to plan a concert or go to a concert a month or two from now because what are the chances that that gets gets canceled? Yeah, I think it's, it's very it's it's a not zero chance. It's like getting higher every day that these concerts are going to start getting canceled. Luckily, my next concert isn't until July. Yeah. So well, the warm weather helps with all this too. And it's an open air. Yeah. So. And thankfully, you know, we we are at the we're at the tail end of getting toward the tail end of flu season, so that's good. Um, and people will be outdoors more and all that good stuff. Janet, hey Buck, glad things are going so well for you. Well, Janet, I hope they're going well. You might be a little more uh, optimistic than me. You deserve success for all your hard work. Thank you for your tireless efforts to break it down for us and keep us informed. I'm listening to the February 20th podcast. What you're saying about how Medicare Medicare for all will play out? It's so true. I'm a healthcare provider. We will not work for the peanuts Bernie wants to toss us. I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner in private practice, and psychiatric care is difficult to find already. I actually have folks cry with relief when I say I will take them on as a new patient. 
So some psychiatrists have already gone cash pay only. Why deal with pesky insurance companies? If Bernie ever does get his health care plan through, sorry to say, I will be a cash pay provider as well. Maybe even have a concierge practice where I manage a group of patients for a monthly fee, which is also done now. After 27 years of taking care of patients, I won't be dictated to by Bernie. Just imagining the red tape and the hoops under his system hurts my brain. Working hard to pack our retirement account now in case he gets in. I would retire and care for patients as a volunteer before subjecting myself to the insult that would be Medicare for all. It's said that Bernie will do away with all private insurance. In some countries, private health care exists alongside public health care, and folks have a choice to pay for better care, Ireland, Australia, and others. Yeah, that's what, by the way, that is what we would have here unless they tried to outlaw private care, which I don't think they would do, but in order to force people from you know being able to make that choice that i could see them turning the law and saying no no have to go through our government system because what will happen is everybody with the money won't go through the government system anymore and you'll have a really good efficient private health care system for people who can pay and a really crappy slow inept medicare for all system but it's free and all of your taxes are going up to pay for it by the way yeah jeanette i uh, appreciate that um anyway that's my two cents I'm pretty much always here for my patients. I'll be calling and checking on some today, Sunday. It's just how it is. I love my work, but I require compensation to carry on. Janet, of course, everybody does. I mean, I I love my job. Would I show up for free? Mm, probably not for four hours a day of radio. Uh, and would I continue to do this? Well, I have to do something to make a living, right? So, you know, you have to. There's a reason why compensation comes along with jobs. Jane writes, hey, Buck, heard you talk about how Trump likes people. I was not a Trump supporter in the primary, but did vote for him for the obvious reason. Shortly after his inauguration, I watched Trump address employees of a major company. I worked for 20 years with injured workers, many of the good old boys. I sat there amazed. It was obvious Trump likes these people. I was won over. Yeah, Jane, that, that's that's really what I was saying. I mean, I, I think it's clear to anybody who pays attention to the way Trump interacts with different folks that Trump... He just, he likes people. He thinks that guys that, you know, guys that drive trucks, guys that, you know, work on building sites, guys that uh, are electricians, you know, and all the way up to people that are, you know, building companies and all the way over to people who are, you know, I don't know, in the military. I mean, you know, he, he likes people that do stuff. And that comes across. You know, Elizabeth Warren likes people who are fancy and feel, you know, at home in the faculty lounge at Harvard. Which is why journalists who are overwhelmingly uh, liberal arts majors who seem to think that the old way of you go to a certain kind of school or not, a lot of journalists go to not impressive schools, but the ones who do go to impressive schools think that now they're supposed to be listened to by everybody else. Um, but yeah, no, I look, I, I think Trump, it's a real thing to, to observe that Trump just likes everyday folks. He does. He does. Yeah, he also likes, you know, supermodels and incredibly beautiful women. But you know what? So do a lot of everyday guys. So it doesn't really, it's not really surprising. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, roll call continues now with Sarah. Buck, love your show and your voice impressions. You crack me up. When I first heard you, I thought, here's the future of talk radio. You remind me a little of Rush, yet you have your own style. On another note, whenever you and producer Mark get off on a subject uh, of whistling and your extreme dislike of it, I can't help thinking of the comic Get Fuzzy 
and one particular strip where the main characters are arguing about pucker screaming, a.k.a. whistling. Uh, look, I, I think there's a – I'll actually try to Google this. Medical condition uh, where whistling bothers you, I think it's a thing. Like, it's a, maybe it's some kind of a psychological disorder, but I'm pretty sure it's misophonia. All right, man, really? You know, on today of all days – what do you mean today? No cookie. No cookie for, it's a, in the market's having a rough day today. No cookies for you, <laughs> producer Mark. You're cut off. Oh, I don't like them because of peanut butter. Yeah, we'll make some delicious chocolate chip. Uh, all right. And then you won't give me any. Yeah, that's right. We'll hold it back from you. Misophonia is a disorder in which certain sounds trigger emotional or physiological response that some might perceive as unreasonable given the circumstances. Those who have misophonia might describe it as when a sound drives you crazy. That's on WebMD. A common one with that is people chewing. With their mouths open? Yeah. Yeah. No, like on the radio, people have like, the radio uh, shows have gotten complaints. People eating on the air because people hate that sound. It is not considered a mental illness, but it may be a form of sound emotion synesthesia and has parallels with some anxiety disorders. Mm. So, I mean, no, I'm not crazy. I just hate whistling. So there you go. I have misophonia about whistling. We should make that a T-shirt. That's right. I'm not crazy. I just hate whistling. I think that's... People should... I mean, I'm right about this. I don't know why people walk around thinking... no, No one wants to hear you whistling. Nobody. Nobody wants to hear it. Some people, it doesn't really bother them. Fine. Normal people doesn't bother them. I'm not normal. Drives me completely This insane. must be why you hate sports. I don't hate sports. Although the people that, you know who actually, I, 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 am, I have to suppress thoughts of violence for the people who think that at, at events of any kind, the theater, sports events, they do the fingers in the mouth whistle, the super high yeah. whistle. All, the only thing that does is make a horrible noise that the people within like five feet of you have to endure. No one else cares about your super high whistle noise in the stadium. No one else is like, yeah, super high, super high whistle guy. Actually, at Ranger games, like at least five to ten times a game, somebody does a whistle thing and then everyone yells, Pot Van sucks. It's not a tradition at Ranger games for But is it the fingers in the mouth whistle thing? Yeah, I mean, that's how you make it louder so the whole arena can hear you and then everyone yells, Pot Van sucks. Oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah. By the way, I did look at, I did, because I'm trying to find like a weekend we can go to Rangers game. Mm-hmm. Tickets are very expensive, yeah. producer Mark. We got go to go out to Brooklyn. This show, I, you know, we're not quite, a, we're not at like, like Rush, we're not at Rush uh, or, or Hannity status here. Yeah. I, I can't be, this tickets are like three, four hundred bucks for good tickets. I take well, it. Yeah, because you only want to sit in a good seat. Yeah. You know what? I'm not going to drag you up the nosebleed seats. Yeah. It's unacceptable. Uh, Christian writes, hey, Buck, love the show and listen every day to the podcast. Regarding the video game to be a good movie, how about The Legend of Zelda? Great action and story, and people love that otherworldly stuff. Um, I think there is a Legend of Zelda movie, right? I think so. They yeah. just came out with a Sonic movie. Yeah. Hmm? Nick writes in, I've been a daily listener to your show since hearing it on KFAB here in Omaha. The story about Comrade Sanders attempting to board the wrong jet gave me a great idea uh, for Trump to troll bumbling Biden. As he can't use his own plane for travel while president, he could send it to Biden's plane around the country. What a perfect photo op. Biden on the tarmac with a giant Trump jet in the background. Just a thought. Love the show. Producer Mark is great. A lot of love for Producer Mark today. He's great. He's apparently great. Mm -hmm. And you're all great who listen to this. So thank you so much for joining us. Pass the buck. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.